What is up, everybody, and how is it going? I'm Alex Goldstick, and you are listening to Spring Forward. Welcome to our first episode of what we hope will be the first of many. On this podcast, we'll be focusing on the inspirational stories surrounding a new kind of professional football developmental league, the Spring League. We'll be kicking off our inaugural episode with the Spring League CEO, Brian Woods, but since we're all here for the first time, I think it'd be a good idea to get all caught up together on what the Spring League is, what it's about, and what you can expect from the Spring Forward podcast. First and foremost, who are we and what is the Spring League? I'll let Brian take care of covering the league's inception and driving force behind it, but to cover the basics, the Spring League is an elite developmental league and scouting event for professional football talent. The league is composed of post-collegiate players, the vast majority of whom have spent time on an active, practice, or preseason NFL roster. The league's goal is to get them back there. Unlike a traditional quote-unquote league, the Spring League takes place at a single location over a continuous defined period of a couple weeks. This year, in the Spring League's second season, the location has been moved from the Greenbrier Sports Complex in West Virginia to Austin, Texas. In its first year, the Spring League played host to 150 elite professional football players. Roughly 20% of those players were invited to an NFL camp, and another 7% were extended invites to the Canadian Football League. Although the league's players have a median age of 24, presence from NFL vets trying to continue their own NFL stories are just as important to the integrity and prestige of the Spring League as the young guys. Notable alumni from last season include running backs Fred Jackson, Ben Tate, Booby Dixon, and Ahmad Bradshaw, defensive lineman Greg Hardy, and tight end Kellen Winslow Jr., who has already been announced on the Spring League social media accounts, will be back again in 2018. Also in 2018, the Spring League will feature former Texas A&M and Cleveland Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel. The coaching staff continues to be led by former San Jose State and Rutgers head coach Terry Shea, who has a mere 50 years of coaching experience across the NFL, CFL, and college football. Yes, the Spring League is far away from the big lights of NFL stadiums, but everyone who comes through the ranks, from players to coaches to partners to staff, has a story to tell. The one thing that links all of those stories together is a passion for the game of football. And that brings us to the Spring Forward podcast. Now that we've skimmed off the top layer, let's get to the interview. Brian Woods is CEO and founder of the Spring League. He's a former walk-on safety at Ole Miss and has a law degree from West Virginia. His professional track record in sports includes stops as a grad assistant at Iowa State, as a sports agent for HS International in California, the Medal of Honor Bowl where he was executive director, and a front office position with the New York Jets. His first venture into trying to solve the developmental void in the world of football was as founder and CEO of the FXFL starting in 2014, which followed a more traditional league model, and finally as the founder and CEO of the Spring League, which officially launched in November of 2016. Brian, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Uh, now that we've knocked out your professional resume, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how we got to where we are today? Yeah, I think really you kind of hit it uh, perfectly. The Medal of Honor Bowl, which I served as the executive director back in early 2014, um, really got me interested in the void in the world of professional football and that every major sport league out there has a developmental or minor league system and the NFL is is one that could certainly benefit more, or especially especially at that time, could certainly benefit from a developmental league system. 
my experience with the Medal of Honor Bowl was very unique in that the majority of the players we had, I realized that only a handful would probably actually end up being hearing their names called on draft day. Um, the majority of the guys were going to be signed as undrafted rookie free agents, and a good a good possibility was that over half of them would be released. And I started thinking, where are these guys going to go and continue to get meaningful repetitions and have a have a platform to uh, continue their development as a professional football player. And I looked around. I did a lot of research and studying other failed attempts of the past. Most of these were never developmental league systems. These were alternative professional football leagues. Some of them were even uh, competing entities as it relates to the National Football League. But I really did uh, spend a lot of time studying uh, the NBA D-League model, I looked at the success of the farm league system and then quite ambitiously in a very short period of time, I went out there and rounded up investors and pitched my concept to them. And a lot of people bought in very quickly and we were able to get the league up and running by 2014 uh, with a very unique concept in that uh, I knew that we needed to do something to address the void in uh, the NFL, not having a developmental league, but I also wanted to, um, uh, develop a business model that was sustainable. And I felt like one of the ways to do it was to utilize smaller venues and, but still be able to tap into resources uh, that we don't have to uh, pay for. So the concept of the FXFL was unique and that we were partnering essentially with minor league baseball clubs, most that ran or operator controlled short season, single A teams, and they were doing it at a time of year. We were going to play these games in the fall. Their staff would still be on site. They would still have the marketing capabilities, ticketing capabilities, but that we would effectively partner with them. And they would handle all the game day and marketing operations, and we would handle all the football operations. And ultimately, I think a lot of people bought in and thought it was a, a great concept. But we started the league off uh, a little bit underfunded, and the business model probably needed about four or five years to prove itself out. Um, and so that's what got me into um, uh, the, I guess, my genesis, if you will, got me into creating an entity that I felt like would be a complementary system uh, in, a, in a very effective developmental model for professional football players. Um, but the FXFL was, was not as sustainable as I wanted, to, wanted it to be. And so I went back to the drawing board, um, rounded up some of my core investors again and uh, uh, pitched them on the concept of the spring league and i think what we have now is everything the fxfl was not and that is uh, a true developmental league a league that's going to operate at a time of year when there when there is not uh, a lot of football on television and that was one of the problems we ran into with the fxfl is trying to find a tv meet or media partner somebody to helpfully hopefully subsidize some of our efforts we were being diluted because there was already a lot of college, high school, and NFL football programming on during that time of year. So the spring league operates as, as its namesake in the spring, and we operate with a very disciplined financial model, and I think we've got a winner here, and um, I'm definitely very encouraged by the results we've seen to date and what lies ahead. So you, you've clearly accomplished a lot in your professional life, as, as we talked about, and you know, could seemingly build a successful career in any number of avenues. Um, so what's compelled you to try to start a, foot, a football developmental league not once but twice? I mean, what's driving the deep passion uh, to take on such a daunting task in an area where, where many have tried and failed before? Yeah, you know, I think I'm just very passionate, uh, and I think the game of football 
was very important to me and helped with my own personal development uh, from a young boy uh, into my teen years, uh, all the way into uh, the time I, I was able to participate in a collegiate football program. But the game has meant a lot to me, uh, and I and I see uh, the the void uh, and the lack of a developmental system. And this was something that I felt like that if there was somebody out there that had the wherewithal and the passion and the level of education and expertise to to try something like this, it was me. Uh, especially given my background and understanding personnel and understanding the business aspects of a professional sports entity. So the FXFL did nothing but continue to, to fuel my passion. And while it was not a, um, uh, while the league itself only existed for two years, I think that was a steep learning curve for me and essentially showed me that, look, maybe the financials aren't exactly where you want them to be, but we had almost 45 players end up back on NFL rosters from the FXFL. So I knew what we were doing was certainly a positive contribution to the world of professional football. And I felt like if I could just really hone in on a more disciplined financial model that we would have a winner. And I do believe we have that with the, with the spring league. Well, so in, in some ways, you know, similar to the players that the spring league's trying to recruit, um, this represents a comeback story for you as well. I mean, condensed into a, a short period of time, the, FX, the FXFL wasn't so long ago, um, but the Spring League is, is your, your second comeback story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I'm proud to say that in year one of the Spring League, one in five of our players were either signed by an NFL club or invited to an NFL camp. And so finding the value, which a lot of companies struggle to, to um, um, get out there and, and really show what they can do, and it takes several years to establish themselves as a competitor. We have essentially, with the FXFL and then my second foray into uh, developing a professional football entity in the Spring League, um, have, have operated without, uh, in, have operated essentially in a space with, without a competition. Um, and I can tell you that while we're not the official developmental league right now of the National Football League, they have no official developmental league. I look at us as the de facto D-League uh, with the level of support that we receive from NFL clubs. Many have reached out. Many have commended our efforts and said, hey, look, what you're doing is great. Stick with it. Um, we've seen a lot of positive feedback from the National Football League Players Association, and they've offered to support us in any way. So I feel like that all the earmarks of a successful entity, especially in the world of professional sports, because I assure you that startup businesses, no matter what you get into, are extremely difficult. And in professional sports, you have your own unique set of variables that make it, I think, exponentially more difficult. So um, it took a lot of time to really hone in on something that was going to be um, – uh, a, a certain value it, it, that had to have a value. What is the value of the spring league? And I think the value ultimately is the number of players that we can return to either the national football league or in some situations, the CFL. And then can we operate at a time of year where we're not competing with other professional sports entities, even outside of football. And so I think we've got a great time of year that the spring league exists but most importantly, we've got to be able to stick around this time. We can't fold and come back again under a, another name. So this time it has to work. But I think, again, going back to what I alluded to before, 
we have a very sustainable, a very disciplined financial model, if you will, that gives me all the confidence of the world that we're onto something and we can we should just continue with it because we're building value and the NFL is slowly but surely starting to see the value and a lot of the their member clubs um, have expressed uh, their gratitude to what we're doing and really seem to be on board with uh, with uh, the Springley concept. So to so to bring this back on field for a minute, um, you know I'm sure you know these numbers, but to throw some math your way. Uh, each year, upwards of 850 players are released at the end of NFL training camp. Uh, 300 of those re-sign with NFL teams, and that leaves over 550 elite football players each year who are looking to fulfill their dreams that no longer have a team to do so. Um, so for players out there listening who are considering the Spring League as a launching pad for their NFL future, uh, what separates the Spring League from other options available to, available to them, and are there other options available to them? And that's a great point, Alex, because there really are not at this at this juncture. Um, the Arena Football League many years ago, before it went through bankruptcy in 2009-2010, um, paid players a good sum of money, and they had a pretty good product. And even at that time, there were some existing NFL owners that had ownership interests in Arena Football League teams. That league is now down to four teams. The indoor game as a whole in the United States is slowly but surely dying off. That's one option, or that was at least an option that exists in years past that really is not a viable option at this point in time. Not to mention that most players that are participating in National Football League want to make it back to the National Football League, and they want to continue to develop their skills and be evaluated by NFL uh, scouts and show that they, they belong in the NFL. It's really hard to do that in a game that's played on a very short field with completely different rules. Um, than the National Football League, or what I want to call, what I like to refer to as the you know United States outdoor game of professional football. Um, so that's one option, but that's not really a good option for players that see themselves on an NFL roster or looking to reach the NFL at some way sh- in, in some way, shape, or form. The other option, of course, is the Canadian Football League. The problem with the Canadian Football League is twofold. One, the rules in the Canadian game. Uh, do not are not replicative they are not um uh, indicative of the game you see in the national football league the rules of the canadian football league game really deviate uh from the nfl uh the contract structure in canada again most of the players that go to canada are looking to return to the nfl in some way shape or form you go to canada and you're signed by a canadian team your contract restricts you from going back to the united states and playing for an nfl club for a minimum of two years so a lot of times I tell players that the CFL is the place where NFL dreams go to, dry, go to die, essentially. Um, we are very proud in that the National, the National Football League sees us as a uh, feeder system for them at this point, um, probably more so than the Canadian Football League. We've had really well-known players, including Johnny Manziel, that have turned down CFL contracts to come to the Spring League. Uh, and the CFL comes down to the Spring League to recruit players and sign players as well. So it's not just the National Football League that sees value in this, but the CFL uh, as well. And so I would say that, uh, again, we're operating in a space right now void of competition, and the Spring League is the best thing out there. The level of talent and the product that the Spring League puts forth each year um, speaks for itself. You know, this year we'll have over 20 NFL draft picks participating in the Spring League. Over 50% of our players have been on either an active roster or a practice squad. 
um, which which says a lot about the level of talent that's taking taking part, especially in 2018. The remainder of the players have some sort of level of NFL experience, even if it's just attending a training camp or mini camp. So very rarely. I try to provide opportunities to what I constitute street-free agents, guys that have never been signed by a professional football entity. Uh, but ultimately, we've got 150 spots. It's highly competitive. And outside of the National Football League, in the United States right now, it's, I, I can say with great confidence that the Spring League has the next best product. Well, and so you just mentioned Johnny. Um, you know, the Spring League has had some seriously recognizable NFL veteran names in the past that we mentioned earlier in the intro, um, but obviously none of those guys have had the public profile of a Johnny Manziel, um, who the league announced on February 14th would be participating in Austin. Uh, you've been discussing this topic a lot in interviews over the last week or so, but uh, can you give us a quick recap on how a signing like this went down and if you expect that to impact the league's ability to attract other players of similar popularity as Johnny, or maybe it has already? Well, no question that the signing of Johnny Menzel certainly led to um, uh, players of his caliber, additional players of his caliber uh, coming forward and expressing their interest in participating. Um, I've been in active talks the last few weeks with Robert Griffin, the thirds agent, um, and there's some there's a strong possibility that he could still be participating this year. Um, but we're, we're obviously very excited to have Johnny Menzel participating in the Spring League. Uh, this is a um, um, this signing of him took several months, and so uh, his agent and I are very close. We started this conversation actually last summer, uh, right around the time that we were going to put together our showcase game. We talked to him about potentially participating in that, um, and then we continued to to keep up the dialogue. Uh, we got into the late fall months and early winter, and at that point, he said, "Look." We've got some CFL teams that are looking at Johnny. However, we're not really happy with the contract structure, um, and we feel like the fastest path back to the NFL is to get him at the Spring League and to get him in front of as many NFL scouts as we can. And they knew that the Spring League would, would bring out the scouts and the head coaches and the general managers. So it wasn't a real tough sell. Uh, um, Johnny Manziel's agent, Eric Burkhardt, has actually been a very big fan of the Spring League and sees the value in it. And obviously, we're in Austin, Texas. Johnny Manziel is from the state of Texas. So to, to, so to participate and start your football comeback in your own backyard, I think, is very special to him. And we're very fortunate to have him taking part in the league this year. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I think that John, the signing of Johnny is probably one of the reasons why a lot more people have heard about the Spring League in the last two weeks. Um, but you just, you know, another reason that Johnny's a huge get is the move to Texas. Um, people may not know the Spring League is in uh, its second season, and in year one, uh, you were in West Virginia. And so can you talk about the decision to, to move the league um, from West Virginia to Austin and, uh, and what it was like for you to make that decision and, and how you settled on Austin? Yeah, quite, quite simply, um, we conducted some informal surveys with various NFL clubs in the offseason and asked them, okay, we know we've got a lot of players back, but what can we do better? What do you think would help us? You know, give us your advice and give us some pointers. And one of the common themes was, hey, we love what you're doing, but it doesn't have to be at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. Put it in a central location. Put it in an area of the country where the weather is going to be a little more favorable, a little more consistent. Um, and quite frankly, I had been in conversations with the Austin Sports Commission for about a year. Um, even though we, we were heading to West Virginia in year one, um, uh, myself and a few other members 
uh, of the spring league. Uh, we're in conversations with the city of Austin, uh, the sports commission about potentially bringing the operation there in season two, even before we had started season one, because we knew we had a great venue at the Greenbrier. That was first and foremost, that they had a NFL caliber facility that they had essentially constructed to bring the new Orleans saints there and have uh, training camp practices. And, you know, in the summer months, uh, the mountains of West Virginia are obviously a lot cooler than, than the, uh, uh, low level, low lying areas like New Orleans. So it was very attractive uh, to the Saints. Uh, but after two years, they had ended their agreement with the Greenbrier. And now the Greenbrier this year, I think, brought the Houston Texans in. So we had a great facility. We had an NFL caliber facility during the Greenbrier. What we didn't have was a centralized location, a place that had easy access for NFL teams that wanted to come and scout. And we had a weekend there last year where both games scheduled for that weekend were complete washouts. Um, and so that being said, we needed to be someplace where the weather was going to be more favorable to our operation. And we wanted to be someplace where more eyeballs could be on our content. Austin is the fastest growing city in America. It's actually the ninth most populated. So we felt like we found a centralized location, a great market for professional football. And um, obviously, um, we know that the location is going to be easier to access by a majority, if not all, of the NFL teams. Yeah, and it seems like with some of the players that have been announced already, there's a, there's a little bit of a focus on uh, on recruiting uh, talent that may have played college ball in Texas. No question. I would tell you that um, uh, a lot of it's just by default. Um, a lot of really quality talent comes out of the state of Texas, and there's a lot of big Division One programs, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, SMU. I mean, um, it's, it's a, a lot of really solid football programs a lot of very talented um, athletes that come out of the state of Texas. High school football is huge here, as everybody knows. So it was a great place for us. But being in Austin, we definitely got more players with local ties participating, and I think that's important to really kind of engage the local fan base. So we're excited to have all of these kids with um, local ties participating in Spring League. Absolutely. And, and, you know, not only is the Spring League pitched itself uh, as a development platform for, you know, elite professional football talent, um, but also as a springboard for innovation uh, within the sport of football. We've announced on social that the Spring League will be a founding partner of Turner Sports live streaming platform. Uh, can you expand on that partnership and what fans can expect from it? Well, look, the bottom line is um, linear television, how most people have received their media over the last 50 or so years is kind of going the way of the dinosaur. And most major distributors, including the Turner Sports of the World and HBOs and things of that nature, are going to these over-the-top direct-to-consumer platforms. I think it's the way of the future. And I think we wanted to be kind of a... uh, um, uh, We wanted to be on the, the, the cutting edge of everything that we did with the Spring League, including our media partner, um, so I started speaking with Turner about a year and a half ago, uh, you know, telling him about our operation and what we were doing. Uh, and when they were ready to introduce their new direct-to-consumer platform, one of the first contacts they made was to me discuss a potential partnership. So we're excited. We have a two-year deal with Turner. Uh, they seem to be their team seems to be very motivated to have this property involved, and we're in there with the NCAA and the NBA and. Uh, uh, professional golf so I feel like we're in good company and the Turner family seems to be welcoming welcoming us with open arms so I'm excited about the partnership and we're looking to to hopefully work with Turner for years to come 
And uh, one more partnership I just want to hit on is uh, with Vices, the helmet provider of the Spring League, and uh, the uh, the helmet re- the helmet design was was just released. Um, you know, but Vices has a, a little different take um, on helmet safety and, and football safety on the field, and I, I hope we can get someone uh, on the pod in the future from them. But uh, can you just touch on on the partnership with them and and what it's been like to work with uh, someone trying to rethink the helmets, so one of, one of the most basic equipment. Um, necessities of any football player look we're problem solvers uh the the spring league is a group of uh, problem solvers and um we want to align ourselves with companies that have similar uh, philosophies and we definitely want to put our players we understand that there's a a real war on football right now um if you look at um the uh, cognitive defect or cognitive effects of, of football and the repetitive head trauma uh, that seems to be causing a lot of problems for not only current players, but a lot of the former NFL players and the concussion litigation that, that went on for, for many years that involved the National Football League. Uh, there's a real push to make the game safer any way you can, whether that be through revising rules, and that's something the Spring League is going to continue and always be open to doing to make the game safer, or if it's implementing new technologies and vices is definitely onto something. They have designed what has been tested by the National Football League is actually the safest football helmet out there right now. So as soon as I found out about the helmet and the technology, my first order of business was getting Vices involved with us. And so last year, their helmet was just starting to go to market, and they were just starting to manufacture these helmets when the Spring League was playing. And so they were able to provide us with a a set of helmets last year to kind of test out. This year, they're going to be – our sponsorship agreement has grown exponentially – and they're going to be covering the league. For every player in the Spring League will be wearing a Vices helmet this year. And so I'm very happy to be partnering with Vices. I feel like that they have a great concept. It's a safe helmet. And so anything we can do to try to make the game safer, mitigate any potential long-term effects on the players that participate, we certainly want to do it. That's awesome. And I think that's a great place to end. Uh, we know you're a busy man, so uh, we will let you go. Um, But thank you for everything, and, uh, you know, can't wait for spring. Absolutely, Alex. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, that will bring us to the end of our first episode of Spring Forward. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the pod. We'll be bringing you the most interesting stories from people around the league as possible. You can follow the Spring League on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Spring League and online at thespringleague.com. Tickets are on sale for games on Saturday, April 7th and Thursday, April 12th. The price of tickets for both days includes both games played on that day. All music was provided to Spring Forward by Joshua Rosner. Peace.